Being a dad isn't always easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. I'm constantly improving myself to be the best dad I can be through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. As fathers, we pass on many things to our children, such as our mindset, our habits, our attitude, and what we've learned along the way. Each of these will shape who our children are and who they will become. The Warrior Dad's mission is to help you become the healthiest version of yourself, to hone your edge, and to live with purpose. My name is Jim Bartomey, and this is the Warrior Dads Podcast. Hey guys, before we jump into the interview, I just wanted to give you a heads up on something I heard um, on the audio during the playback of the episode, but it wasn't bad enough for me to can the episode. I still really love this interview with John. I really love the authenticity, um, and I didn't want to lose that. And I thought that even though I had the option to redo the episode, I didn't want to miss out on having that that genuineness and that nice flow to the conversation that we had. But anyway, what I found was is that there must have been a delay in the audio, so there was a little bit of an overlap of when he answered and when I asked the next question or responded or commented or whatever it was. And you can actually almost faintly hear me uh, on a delay on his end as well. It's almost like an echo of the voice, but it's very, very faint. I only heard it when I had the headphones on listening back um, but again it's just it's an overlap I don't know if it was a Wi-Fi connection I don't know if it was an anchor issue um, but I'm gonna look to make sure that that doesn't happen again but I just wanted to give you guys a heads up to make sure that you're not discouraged from listening to the audio because it really really is a great interview and that's why I didn't want to redo it even though I did have the option so we're almost at episode 50 I just wanted to say thank you uh, for all the support. I really love doing all these episodes and I'm having a great time and I really appreciate you guys tuning in with so many podcasts out there. You guys are still continuing to listen to this one so I just wanted to say thank you very much. If you haven't already taken the time to leave a comment or something like that, I really, really appreciate it for everybody that has. I, I love you guys for it and I appreciate you taking you know, even the 15-20 seconds it might take to write that interview. Um, I know we're all we all got busy lives. It's a crazy time that we're in right now, but I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do that for me. And um, yeah, and so I hope you have been staying healthy and safe. And same thing to your family and your friends during this crazy time. But I think if we, you know, continue with the patience a little longer and we continue to adapt, we will definitely overcome. So let's get into the episode. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in for another episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. Today I have John T. Prather with me, and John is a Hollywood actor. He's a GQ fitness model. He's the author of The Nephilim Virus, which we're going to get into, uh, a father of four kids, some of which are adopted and through foster care. John has an exercise science degree and has always had a love for fitness, and I'm really excited to have him on the Warrior Dads podcast. John, thanks so much for making some time. Absolutely. Thanks for yeah. having me. I'm excited. Appreciate yeah, man, absolutely. Um, this is actually a unique situation. I just mentioned this to you. Like, I, I didn't know who you were. You liked a couple of my posts on Instagram. I clicked on you. I started following you and I started seeing what you were doing and what you were about. And then I, I saw the Nephilim virus and you were tagged in a post. And I said, what's that? Because I've heard of the Nephilim in, I guess, the Bible or it's, it's not mythology, right? I uh-huh. guess. I, I don't know. It's just, but I've heard of the Nephilim and uh, I started going down that rabbit hole. So I'm really glad we can make this work. And having never talked before 14 minutes ago, when we first jumped on the phone, I thought this was really uh-huh. cool. So 
um, you, you're out in California. Yeah, absolutely. So how's everything getting affected with the industry that you're in with this shutdown right now? Well, it's, it's really funny. It's everything has just kind of come to a screeching halt as it, uh, you know, has for everybody, but I was probably the busiest I had ever been on a Friday. And then this kind of stuff started happening. And then by Monday I was just, uh, and nothing was happening. Although, you know, four, I have four kids, as you mentioned, and they are all four under the age of four. So I have a three-year-old, I have two-year-old twins, and then I have a one-year-old. So I feel like I'm not, any, uh, ha- I don't have any more free time than I had before. I'm still really busy. It's just changed a little bit right. with the family and everything. Wow. They're all under four. <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah. in this time, especially with having that many kids, cause I know people that have that many kids, but they're all in school. And right now it's very hard juggling classwork with all four kids and having different agendas and things like that. So I guess one of the, the good things for you right now is that they don't have that responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, it actually is good. It's it's funny. I actually have seven brothers and sisters. My parents had eight kids and no multiples. So it was kind of more spread out. It was every couple of years a kid. And so, uh, you know, I'm used to a bigger family. Now, ours are so compressed that we don't really, you know, if you have an eight year old, if I had an eight year old right now, I could have someone who's mm-hmm. going to help out a little bit. And fortunately, you know, the three-year-old, she's very smart and very helpful, but, uh, you know, it's a three-year-old and two two-year-olds, which is just the, the, the hardest age, uh, I think, until they get to be teenagers, maybe, and we just have a lot of them in it. So, but, you know, I may be saying in five years that they're at the hardest age when they're eight and nine, so we'll see. Yeah. So um, now you have a mixture of biological but, children and then uh, your your foster family as well? Yeah. My wife and I, you know, one of the things we connected on before we got married was we both wanted to uh, have a family that had adopted children in it. And so it was interesting because uh, you don't meet a whole lot of people who want to have biological kids and adopt. And so for us, it was just natural because we both wanted that. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know a whole lot about the foster care system, but we knew that there were a lot of kids who, who needed homes. And so uh, two months after we got married, we just showed up at an L.A. County foster care orientation class, and that kind of started the process. And we it's been a, a long road, but it's been a lot of fun, uh, very interesting. We learned a lot about foster care, a lot about adoption, and uh, but we wanted to build our family that way. And so we have, we have adopted children. We have uh, foster children. We've had foster children that are no longer uh, with us. Um, and we've adopted through the foster care system, and we also have uh, biological children. So we're uh, we're a hodgepodge, I guess you would say. Yeah. But it's been amazing, and it's been a, a very, very uh, great, great experience for are us. Are the twins the, your biological children? Yeah, our twins are the biological children. So we, you know, we went through the adoption process first. Um, we weren't kind of aware how long the process would be. We started as foster parents, and then... You know, our, our oldest daughter came to us through the foster care system, and uh, we ended up adopting her, and my wife uh, got pregnant. We had twins, and then my uh, um, uh, oldest daughter had a uh, sister, and so we ended up surprised. We thought we were good with uh, with three kids uh, that were, <laughs> that were uh, uh, under two, but then, uh, surprise, we, we got a call, and uh, so... We're uh, right now fostering my youngest, but we're going to end up adopting her as well. Which is your sister's? So, and she, yeah, so it's my daughter's uh, birth sister. 
Um, so they're biological sisters. The oldest and the youngest are the biological sisters. And then my twins are in the middle. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's how it's funny. We go out in public and you see people kind of looking at us and, you know, looking at the kids and they're all so close in age, but they're not all, you know, quadruplets. And you tell people, I call it the pregnancy math. You see people like looking at them and trying to kind of do the math on their head and trying to figure out how we had, how we had four kids in less than two and a half years, because there's a two and a half year, less than two and a half years between the oldest and the youngest. So you can see people trying to figure out how they had four kids and, in two and a half years. So it's kind of funny just seeing the look on people's faces when they see us out in public. That is funny. And it's a little more common, I think, maybe in other, maybe not that age range, but in other, pe- in other parts of the country. In Los Angeles, not that many people have really big families. I think two kids out here is pretty, pretty, pretty big for most people. So we're like, a, we're like some kind of six-headed monster when we go out. People just stare at us and, and you know, try and figure out how we have so many young kids, why we have so many kids. It, it's interesting. <laughs> Because it's not a big Los Angeles thing yeah. out here. Or they recognize you from being magazines and on TV and stuff like that. But, uh, you know. That's happened a couple of times. <laughs> something something was going through my head is that you mentioned that you've had foster children that you don't have now. Yes. <clears throat> oh, how How is that? that... How, so, you know, because you mentioned like, well, so we had a foster child and we wound up adopting her. And I'm just thinking like, wow, how. Yes how hard of a situation is that to have a foster child and then have them leave or have them maybe ask the question? Because I, I, you know, the only thing that I, um, you know, the only experience that I would have with foster care is just from what I see on television and the movies. And it almost seems, and, and this is probably an age, an older age range. I mean, we're talking a lot younger in this particular case, but it seems like they're a little bit more mature. They, they know what's going on a little bit more and they know how the system works, you know? So if, if I was just thinking to myself, like if I had one of my foster, a foster kid ask me, well, are you going to adopt me? And then having to answer that question or having to skate around that question or, you know, not answer right away. It's just, that doesn't sound like a very easy conversation. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, foster care can be very difficult. It takes a very strong heart to be able to do it. And I think, um, you know, one of the reasons that my wife and I, you know, do some interviews and talk about it a lot is because there's a lot of misconception about it. You know, I'm, I'm in the industry that, that promotes a lot of those misconceptions because, you know, TVs and movies and even books and things like that often use foster kids um, not as the bad guy necessarily, but they make it difficult. And, and you know, that's, is sometimes true, mm-hmm. but you know, foster kids are just kids who need love like anybody else. And the thing about foster care, when you go into it, you know, some of the children will need a permanent home, but some of the children just need a temporary home until, you know, whatever process with their birth family needs to happen for them to go back to the birth family. And sometimes a lot of the time when you get into it, you're not quite sure which it will be, whether it will be a temporary home or a permanent home. And that's why you really kind of got to have a strong heart for it. You know, our situation was a little different. The, the little boy, our, my first son, uh, foster son, he was, he was a baby. He was very young, so he wasn't old enough to kind of understand what was going on. And he ended up going to be with a birth family member. And it was, you know, very, very difficult for us. We loved him very much. We still love him. Um, we have a, a, you know, a good relationship with his, with his family, and we still get to see him, uh, you know, a couple of times a year. We'll get, we'll get all the kids together and, and have a good time. So we've... 
tried to build a strong relationship where we could still be in his life and help out in any way that we can. Um, but that's one of the difficulties of the system. But if you kind of go into it for the right reason, as in helping one of the kids, you just have to realize that, you know, your strength that you have and your love that you have is helping the child through a difficult time um, that, that they need someone to be kind of strength and love and safety for them. And so it, it can take a toll. It, it's, it's tough, but it's very rewarding. It's, you know, I always, in all the interviews I, you know, where my wife and I speak, we always say it's worth it. it no matter how much pain you go through, it, it is definitely worth it. And if you go into it for the children, uh, for the kid, it really is very rewarding. And if you keep that mindset, even during the difficult times, you know you were uh, a difference in the kid's life at a time when they really needed someone to make a difference for sure. them. And so it kind of is, is about the mindset that you go and the heart that you go into it with. But it can be very difficult, but it's very, very worth it. And it's very, very needed um, for uh -huh. the children. And all of your kids, because of how old they are right now or how young they are, they're just going to grow up as just brothers and sisters. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we worked very hard in our situation um, to develop relationships with, with our kids' birth family. Um, and so I won't go into too much of it, uh, just for privacy reasons for them. But, uh, you know, sometimes also there's can be a division kind of between the birth family and adoptive family or foster family, kind of as if they're against each other. And we went into it at a mindset of the more family, the merrier. And I'm from a big family. And, you know, if my kids have extra grandmas, then that's a win because I was very close to my grandparents. So, you know, my daughters have four grandmas and that's, that to me is amazing. And so we tried to develop a very strong relationship with the birth families and they, they work to develop a strong relationship with us. And so in our case, it's really worked out well. And I feel like that's not always possible, but mm -hmm. sometimes it is. And you just have to kind of all the way around work on relationships. And so my, my, um, you know, biological kids have more grandmas than they would normally have if we went if if we didn't go through the adoption process or we weren't foster parents or whatever. Sure. So, you know, I feel like kids need as much love as they can get. And so the more, Absolutely. The I think that's where it comes, you know, the saying comes, it takes a village. Yeah, it's a, it does. And, you know, for us, you know, I can't, it's also kind of a California mentality, I guess a little bit because, you know, I'm, I'm from Tennessee my wife is from Wisconsin. We don't have any family here. So we're kind of out here on our own. So, you know, the people that are in our lives, are our family aren't necessarily blood related. So to us, it's completely natural not to be, you know, biologically related to your uh, quote unquote family. So for us to, you know, have family that that is, doesn't share our blood is completely yeah. normal. I think a lot of that success where you were just talking about how, how you guys are blessed to have the relationships that you've built and all that. I think that's probably a lot of it has to do with your mindset going into, like you said, focusing on the children because, if you didn't have that mindset, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm I'm sure that that process went a lot smoother because it was the children at heart, not for some other selfish reasons. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know, I, I always say this, I, you know, I also write a blog. And so I talk about adoption quite a bit in the blog. And I've said this many times too, is, you know, we were fortunate because, you know, for example, uh, the birth grandma went into it into the situation and we went into the situation and we have a very good social worker who went into the situation and all of us were just focused on what's best for the, for the children in the case. 
And so I think when people do that and kind of are able to set aside their own um, desires even sometimes, then things will work out better than they will otherwise. And it's a, it's a more difficult position to be in. I feel like everyone has to be more vulnerable and um, sometimes put their pride aside or whatever else. Um, but I think if you do that and you just kind of go into it trying to figure out what's best for the children, then it can work out. You know, in our case, it worked out really well, and we're very mm-hmm. blessed. And, uh, you know, we're very blessed with, with our daughters and with our whole family. So it, it's worked out really well. And I, I know that there will be bumpy patches, as there are with, with any kids. So right now my girl twin is, the, is, is our <laughs> toughest kid right now. So it, it, it is uh, biological. Uh, children are no guarantee for smooth sailing. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So tell me about, um, I, I want to switch to the book. I, I, when I, when I found out about the name of the book, um, the Nephilim virus, I was only familiar with the word Nephilim because it's, it's funny. My son and I, we watch, we listened to this podcast called, uh, the Bigfoot Chronicles. Or no, I'm sorry, okay. the Sasquatch Chronicles, the Sasquatch Chronicles. And so we, we haven't listened to it quite for quite a bit because we're not really driving around a lot. But a lot of times when we'd be in the car and going somewhere a little farther, we would throw on one of the podcasts and listen. And they talked about the Nephilim a lot of times, especially when they're talking about Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what is Nephilim? You know, I never heard that before. And so I looked it up and I was familiar with it. So when I had... Uh, seen the name of your book, the Nephilim virus. I'm like, oh, that sounds really interesting. So I'm curious for myself. I want you to tell people, you know, a little bit about the book and what it is, but I'm curious as to like how you came up with this idea and why, why the Nephilim virus? What inspired this? Uh, Well, first I would, you know, I've kind of always been a writer. I've enjoyed storytelling. I kind of got that from my grandfather. I got fitness from my dad and I got storytelling from my grandfather and he, you know, he loved to tell stories and I would just sit and listen to the way that he would tell a story and the way he would, you know, tell the punchline of the story. And he would tell the same stories growing up over and over again. And somehow they would always be interesting to me. And I was fascinated by that. So I was, I kind of feel like I've always been a writer. I've always been uh, in love with stories, but I've always been one of those people that was going to write a book, going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. And then a few years ago, I decided, you know, I got to stop being this person, kind of like fitness. I got to stop being this person that says he's going to write a book, and I just got to sit down and write it. And no matter how bad it is, I've got to write it, and I just have to have it finished. So, you know, that's kind of where the story started, because I sat down and I wrote an entire manuscript. And now that was not this one, but it really showed me that, eh, you know, again, kind of like the fitness thing, I, I really did a lot of stuff to fitness. If you set your mind to it, you can do it. And so for me that proved to me that I could do it. So then after I, I, you know, that one was, you know, I felt good, but needed a lot of work, but I set it aside. It showed me that I could finish it. And then I had an idea for this book. And it's funny because I had this idea where two thirds of the world are infected by this kind of blood disease. And I had this idea kind of in my, in my story and my notebook of stories for a long time. And I never really knew what I was going to do with it. And then an idea popped in my head one time, and I won't kind of share the, um, the secrets of the book too much, but an idea popped into my head of how I could use this uh, kind of infection and what it would look like. And so that's where this t- book came from. And the Nephilim are interesting because, you know, they're um, biblically, you know, there are a couple uh, verses in Genesis 
that talks about the sons of God coming down and having sexual relations with the daughters of men and creating this race of giants or these kind of superhuman creatures. And which so, isn't what is wasn't Goliath, you know, maybe perceived to be part of that group. Yes. So you can kind of, yes, absolutely. Um, so you can kind of trace them through history a little bit, which I, I won't give it all away, but I do kind of in the book a little bit trace um, kind of through history, a little of these, almost super human characters, super strong, super fast, you know, like Goliath, very big, however that presents itself. And so I had uh, the idea of this kind of guy, my main character's name is Nick, and he wakes up um, from a coma into this world where two thirds of the world have been um, infected with this virus. And so it's funny going now through the quarantine and through the COVID-19 and all this kind of stuff. I'm kind of seeing some interesting things of a, a little bit of a dystopian world. My book, people are like, whoa, hey, wait, how, this is funny that you, that you wrote this book about this virus that uh, infects the world. And here we are. But it's interesting because, you know, my main character wakes up into this world where the world's been affected. He's not quite sure who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Everyone's kind of you know, searching for him for some reason, and he's not sure why. But there are these superhuman characters who um, there are these superhuman creatures who are, you know, very intelligent, uh, very um, physically dominating, and they seem to want to create this new race or this old race in the world. And then there's also these other kind of um, kind of the lower version of this or the animalistic version of this who are super strong, super fast, but their intelligence is gone and they're kind of running amok among the, uh, among the like world. Like a typical well. jock. And so, <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're more of like a, yeah, exactly. They're more of like a, uh, uh, I won't call them zombies because they look normal and they act normal, except for they just are about destruction. So basically like the basis of human nature, that's them. And so then the main character wakes up into this world and he has to kind of figure out what's going on and what this virus is about and, you know, who's the good guy and the bad guy and why everyone is, is searching for him. And he just drops in and, you know, from, from page one, my wife, as I was writing it, it was interesting because she would read it chapter by chapter every night when I'd finish a chapter, she wanted to read it. And she would always encourage me, yes, faster paced. I want things to happen faster. So for me, it's very fast paced. The chapters are short and things get going and they happen very quickly. So that's, uh, that's uh, thanks to my wife, because uh, that's how she likes books. She likes them to just uh, get going and pedal to the metal entire time. So it's funny when I was writing, it just through my head the whole time. It would be just push the pace. If something I think is going to happen tomorrow, it doesn't. It happens today. So. <laughs> It was an interesting for me writing experience, and um, so it was an, a very fun to me to get a book published because that was one of my, again, childhood dreams from when I used to sit and listen to my grandpa yeah, tell stories. Yeah, that's awesome. And you've actually gotten some good publicity from this book. I mean, you had Megan Fox give you a lot of accolades for this book, and she said, I think she couldn't put it down, or what was her exact quote? I'm sure you remember. Yeah, she was very kind. She, you know, she read the book and she was uh, incredibly excited about it. She thought it was uh, an amazing thrill ride that uh, that she thought would make a great movie. So it was um, very nice of her to uh, kind of get behind the book. And 
Um, and she really, she really was a big fan of it, which I was very excited about. So I've, I've gotten some good publicity about it. And, you know, people have been very kind. People have liked the books, and it's won a couple of awards. So I think my wife's theory about a fast pace really kind of helped out because it, it has seemed to catch the, the uh, imagination of people who wouldn't normally read. For example, my brother-in-law, um, he, he doesn't read anything. He does not read. And my sister I sent him a copy of the book, and my sister sent me pictures of him at like 1230 at night sitting there with a book light in bed reading my book. And she's like, you don't know how amazing this is. He has never read a book in his life, and he can't put your book down. So it's been, it's been nice. So I think my, I think my wife was right. So I got to give her cool. credit for that one. Yeah, well, is there any talk about there being a movie for it? You know, there are, there are things in the works. You know, Hollywood is, is a funny, mm-hmm. funny industry. It was, um, um, but there are things happening, so we'll, we'll keep uh, fingers crossed and, and prayers up. Uh, we'll, we'll see if something something happens, but uh, I, I won't rule it out. Okay, Let's just put it that All way. Right. A little uh, secret Hollywood insider thing there. So, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, it's it's funny because Hollywood, you you can never count on things until it's uh, until things are done. So you know, it's 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 good to be hopeful, but it's never good to be. Yeah, overly uh, so, confident. So we'll is see that how where like a TV go, show but, or, but, you know, then they made a movie, but is that where like the TV show entourage is actually pretty true to life is that things can just fall apart at the very last second. At any time. It's a funny, funny industry. I've been called literally I've been called for, for like a fitness shoot or something else where they'll be like, you know, what are you doing tomorrow? So I, it's one of the things with fitness. I learned that I have to be kind of, to keep uh, it's very competitive out here for so for me to keep my edge i feel like i have to be in tip-top shape all the time because literally i'll get a call hey we fired this guy how are you look right now or hey can you make it across town at this time to to do this audition because it, there's no waiting around and so for me i i think that's one of the ways i've kind of gotten lucky is i've uh, you know abp i call it always be prepared so for me, it's kind of helped out, but it is a funny industry because things can go to zero to 60 in no time. They can also go 60 to zero in no time. So I didn't watch Entourage, honestly, because it was a little too close to home for me. And I was like, I live in this world. I don't want to watch it. So all my friends were like, you've got to see this show. It's amazing. So I've seen bits and pieces of it and clips, obviously, and, 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 and know the gist of it. And I've seen a couple of episodes, but I never could watch it because it was just a little too close to home for me. And I was like, you know, I live this. I don't yeah. watch this. So and that's not everybody's theory, but for me, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it that much that's in Hollywood. So. No, that's cool. I mean, I, it's to each his own, but that's, that's really cool point of view and perspective of it. Well, hopefully it does get made in a movie. And I really actually do want to read this book because um, I, I, I like fast pace. I mean, I don't, I don't mind slower pace or if something's not too, too slow, of course, but I like fast pace and I'm really intrigued when I, watched some of your videos on it, listened to your interviews and started reading a couple of the different synopsis of the book. I really want to check this out. So, and it's great that you got all that great feedback from Megan. And maybe if you guys do make a movie, then uh, if she liked it that much, maybe she'll be in it, you know, or who knows. Yeah, absolutely. She did. She did kind of fall in love with it. So we, I would, I would love for her to, yeah, uh, be a part of it. So we we'll we'll see. I, I think cool. she would like. One that of the things well. you just mentioned is that you always have to be prepared and you always have to be in tip top shape. What are you doing nowadays? I mean, well, first of all, are you even able to get those calls right now? No, everything is basically slowed down. They do have 
I've been hearing some people have kind of have home auditions, which mm-hmm. they have occasionally anyway, or uh, self-tape audition, they call it. Um, but everything has really slowed down in the, in the industry. So it's been very quiet um, as far as entertainment goes. I think they're green lighting everything from what I hear. They're basically anything that was in the queue and already made, but even things that they, again, maybe put on the shelf and weren't going to go ahead and put out there. They're now putting out there because people are staying at home. People are watching Netflix. So all the content, so to speak, has really been flying off the shelves, but that's only things that have been made. So there's going to be a huge sag, depending on how long this lasts, there's going to be a huge kind of vacuum of a need for new material because they're using up most of their material right now, but they're unable to make new stuff. So the industry, again, is really shut down here. It'll be interesting to see how it rebounds. Yeah, I agree. This is all over. Um, So being that you were a GQ fitness model in the superhero edition, right? What are you doing in times like this to keep yourself in good shape in that, you know, fitness model physique shape all the time? Well, right now I've been doing a lot of home workouts, which it's, you know, interesting. I, I had a few pieces of equipment, a bench. My wife had some dumbbells and, you know, some bands. And then we had a few things like that. And when this kind of first started right before, before the lockdown kind of started, I ordered a little bit more weights, a few more weights for me because I kind of felt like this was going to happen with the gyms closing down and everything. And, and I'm fortunate that I did. So I do home workouts now, which is fun because the kids really enjoy it. So they kind of jump in and, you know, my son especially likes to be used as a dumbbell. So I get to do a lot of exercises with him. And then my oldest daughter likes to mimic a lot of uh, workouts or randomly she'll just tell that dad, I want to count for you. I'm going to count. So then I got to do however many she counts for. So it's, it's been fun because it's been a, a way to kind of connect with the kids a lot and spend a little family time because I'm still actually pretty busy during this time. And so it's been kind of a family time for us that, uh, that I enjoy and they enjoy, and I'm still able that's to get cool. my workouts in. And it's interesting for me because that's kind of how I started with fitness is my dad had a gym in the garage. And so he never forced us to work out his kids. He never told us to work out, but we just grew up seeing him work out and kind of being consistent and exercise every day. And this was kind of back, you know, uh, 30 years ago when people didn't do that as often and home gyms weren't as common. And he had a full, we never parked our cars in the garage because he had a full gym in there. And so, you know, as I got older, I just kind of thought that's what everyone did is everyone worked out, everyone exercised. So I kind of picked it up that way. And by the time I started looking around and realized that wasn't the real world, it was too late. I was already kind of into it. So that's how I picked it up. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if my kids do and how they do. And they're pretty young right now, but it's fun for me because they hmm. like to be a part of it. That is interesting. It. So he and never... So I'm able to still get my exercise in during So you said time. he never forced you, but he never encouraged it either. No, he, you know, it was fun because we would come out and spot him or we would come out and watch him work out or whatever. But people always ask, like, you know, I started basically when I was in high school exercising and people always ask, Oh, well, did your dad, you know, was he one of those dads that was all over you, forcing you to play sports, forcing you to work out? You know, is that how you got into it? And, you know, he encouraged it as in, he was a very loving, supportive, uh, you know, proud father and uh, very good at that. And so he would kind of support anything that we tried, but he never forced any of that on us. 
And so it was one of those things. I had a neighbor, for example, who, you know, whose son liked to play baseball. And eventually he kind of burned out because his dad just wanted him to play all the time. And with us, it was far more natural. My dad never was like, you guys need to work out or you should get in the gym or whatever. There was none of that. It was more just a natural, we saw him doing it, we started doing it, and that just stuck. So for us, it was far more of a natural progression into it instead of kind of being forced into it like it's a chore. So it was never really a chore That's for nice. me. That's nice. That's good. I do encourage my son to, you know, well, he'll come down and he'll want to, he'll want to do TRX chin-ups and stuff like that, and he'll want to, he actually wanted to pick up the kettlebell. My wife uses a 20-pound kettlebell, and he wanted to pick that up. So he wanted to do it, and I... I showed him the right technique and I had him do it. It was both hands and he actually did it great. And I only had him do, you know, short reps, five reps or something like that for just to build uh -huh. up some strength. And he's doing so much better on the TRX and doing chin-ups that way. I don't force him, but I do try to encourage him to say, well, you know, you got to do something to keep your body strong. You know, you know, whatever it is that you want to do to keep your body strong, but you should, you know, try to just build a little bit of strength, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know, for my, you know, my kids are very young, so I haven't figured it all out yet. So, but that's kind of my theory on things is, you know, my parents had us try all kinds of different things. We had to learn how to bake and do our laundry and sew and work out and go to swim lessons and piano lessons. And we kind of, their theory was we let them try one of everything. And if they don't like it after they give it a full try, they, they went like, I want, I was terrified of the water because I almost drowned a couple of times. So I hated swim lessons and wanted to quit. Um, or for example, piano, my, you know, I got big, big hands that just don't, they're not very coordinated <laughs> for things like piano. My brother is, my brother is a musician of the family. He can play anything on the guitar or piano. I can play absolutely nothing. And so, but they were like, you finished the, the, you know, your piano lessons that we got you. I don't remember how many it was. And then if you don't like it, you don't have to go again. And so I feel like that's a good way to do it. My brother continued on because he liked it. And for me, they were like, okay, you tried it. You gave it a shot. It's not for you. You can move on from it. And so I think that's a good, a good way. And it's good to encourage, you know, again, my dad was very encouraging and very, you know, loving and also supportive of whatever we tried. So like you with your son, you know, showing him the right way and encouraging him something that he's showing a little bit of interest in is a better way yeah. to do it than forcing it on somebody, yeah. in my opinion. But again, I'm young at this dad thing, so I could be uh, way wrong. Yeah, on but you know what? Things. I feel like we're all young on the dad thing because once you feel like you got the twos figured out, then all of a sudden they're right. four, and now you got to figure that out. And then, you know, so I might have my seven-year-old figure out, but when he turns 10, I'll be like, damn, I'm all the way back to square, square one again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the way it works. Otherwise, there would be a one-size-fits-all manual, and there is just not. It's just parenting is a everyday learning experience, and it's uh, you know, there's some quote about like starting it over every day, like you like you've never done anything at all. And I think that's yeah. basically how it is every day. <laughs> as soon as you think you have anything figured out, you better recalculate because you yeah. figured out. Basically well, I was looking at some of your workouts that you're doing. Um, looks like I don't know how long you've been having to you know stick with your workouts, and you you've been working out since like you said you were in high school. So it's not like just a couple of months is going to do a ton of damage, but trying to keep yourself in, um, you know, model, model shape ready condition isn't easy to do. How, how much time do you dedicate to training and exercising and things like that? You know, I do about 45 minutes to an hour a day. I do five days a week and I've been pretty consistent with that you know before this whole quarantine thing I'm not 
I'm not a big sleeper, so that was my way to find extra hours in the day. I'd be up at 3 a.m. every day and maybe 4 a.m., and I would get my workouts in in the morning if I had to. I've had times when I would film, and sometimes you film 16 hours a day. You go home, you go to bed for however, five, six hours, and you get up and you do it again, and I would sleep three hours and get up and work out again because my big theory on fitness is that it's about consistency. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I have an exercise science degree. I've kind of done quite a bit with fitness and know quite a bit with fitness, I feel like, from a lot of it from just learning things and watching and uh, a lot of it from experience of trial and error. But, you know, one of the biggest things that I tell people is you just have to be consistent. And I think a lot of things in life are like that. You kind of build self-discipline and you just be consistent. And I always tell people, you're not going to make the body that you want with one workout. You're not going to destroy the body that you have with one bowl of ice cream. It's a bigger picture than that. It's, you know, an everyday type of thing. And I always talk about how when I go and do a, a shoot for men's health or muscle and fitness, the photographer is not taking a picture of the workout I did that morning or the workout I did that week. He's taking a picture of all the workouts I've done for the last 20 years. And so you want to have kind of a bigger picture of things, as in, you know, the quote about people overestimate what they can accomplish in a month, but way underestimate what they can accomplish in a year. And I think that is very, very true because people can stick with it for two weeks or three weeks, and then they feel like they're not getting the results that they wanted. And a lot of times that's about the time the willpower gives up. But if you just set yourself to, hey, I'm going to do this consistently five days a week, four days a week, even three days a week for a year, and then see where I'm at, most people would be very, very pleasantly surprised. But um, it's, to me, about consistency. And so that's the thing, same thing with the home workouts. I like, I like to lift heavy, but right now, you know, I don't have the ability or the weights to do everything, so I'm having to improvise. I use kids to lift. I lift some of the weights that we have. I do supersets. I do home you know, exercises that I can do here and I just make it, make it work. But it's, it's about, to me, it's about being consistent with it and saying, Hey, you know, I went through this quarantine time. I went through this time and I still didn't give it up. I still didn't miss ex workouts. I still found a way to make it happen. And I think that's more of what it's about than it is trying to have some spectacular workout or some yeah. amazing workout plan. Yeah, yeah. I like no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> do you do a lot of, um, you know, the, the big craze still is, um, you know, CrossFit style type workouts and stuff like that. And even with the exercise equipment that you do have, um, I know you said you use kids and stuff like that. So some of the things you can't, you can't do with kids, but I mean, is that yeah, some of the things that you do or what, what style of training have you adopted over the years? Like you said, you've been around the block a lot. You have this, you have a degree in this. What do you think about yeah. that style of training? How do you incorporate yeah. that? I've never actually personally attended any kind of CrossFit class just so anybody listening knows, or, you know, it's not like I'm trying to hopefully say that you, yeah, I love CrossFit. You know what I mean? Like, but I'm just curious. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, CrossFit is interesting. It can be a good workout. Uh, oftentimes people, are dealing with injury issues with CrossFit because sometimes they're not as uh, specific about form. And so they have people kind of just, again, a lot of times in even just a class atmosphere, people are just doing what they can. And if their form is not right, they're just asking for trouble. For me, my theory on it is 
I, for myself, everybody's a little bit different, but my basic kind of fitness theory is I like to lift heavy. I'm not afraid of, of, of heavy weights. I like to do that, but I also keep a pretty quick pace. So my, generally speaking, I only rest about 30, 45 seconds between sets, which is, um, you know, a pretty quick pace, but I still lift kind of heavy like a power lifter, um, and I break doing a lot of multi-joint movements, and I kind of break my body parts down when I work them almost like a bodybuilder where I'll work, you know, chest and abs one day instead of trying to work the whole body. So for me, that works very well, I feel like. Um, obviously, the, the weight that you can use, heavy is relative. Heavy to me is different than heavy to you. It's different than the heavy to my wife. So heavy is a very well, relative term. I'm also big on form. There's no point in going heavy if your form is really bad. So I always kind of tell people, you know, watch. You can find a lot of good stuff on Instagram. Now you can find a lot of bad stuff on Instagram. There are, there are a lot of really bad trainers out there, and there are a lot of people who just um, are good at publicity and not as good at, at, you know, having the background that they need to tell people how to exercise. But you can learn a lot from watching people and trying to figure out how to do things right. Um, so I'm, I'm a big stickler on form, but once you get the form right, I like to lift heavy, but I also like to keep the pace up, and that has worked really well for me. I do right now, since I don't have the ability to lift as heavy as I would like to, I do a lot of supersets. I do a lot of kind of circuit type of stuff, um, pre-exhaust, a lot mm -hmm. of that type of stuff. Um, but also I think fitness is about kind of mixing it up and not doing the same thing over and over again. So no two of my workouts are the same ever. I've never done the same workout, I think, ever in my life. There's just too many ways to mix things up one way or the other to do the same thing over and over and over again. And I think that's one of the things most people kind of just get stuck in a rut and do the same thing. And your body adapts to that. Your body gets efficient. It gets good at doing that. Yeah. So you definitely want to switch it up. No, it's definitely, definitely good points. It's funny. It's funny. You mentioned the not doing the same thing and switching it up all, or not doing the same thing twice and switching up all the time. I started recently listening more and more to uh, Pavel Tatsulin, who's, you know, really big into strength. He owns strength first, brought the kettlebell over to the United States. And so I don't know if you're familiar with who he is, mm -hmm. but I was listening to some of his stuff because I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. And um, he talks about more minimalistic training and how many, how many exercises do you really need? So he loves the kettlebell swing. Of course he loves uh, the Turkish getup. And he actually has a whole program called simple and sinister devoted to just the kettlebell swing and the getup. And, mm -hmm. but he talks about the same thing you do, consistency, you know, five, six days a week, but you're getting your training in in about 20 to 25 minutes, but you're being consistent and you're getting stronger and things like that. But he's talked, he talks about longer rest periods, whereas you're talking about a lot shorter rest periods. So it's always, it's just always interesting to hear so many different people's points of view, because then there's a people out there that say that CrossFit workouts are the best way to get strong and to have your conditioning and to get you know uh lean at the same time because obviously uh -huh. you're very very lean you look very strong and um so it's just it's just interesting to hear because you have so many people that have the results this way and then they have the results this way and then i think it adds more confusion but yeah it, you know yeah it's a little bit of to me it's you kind of everyone has their kind of own workout theory and when i work with people i have kind of a theory i go into it with but everybody's different. Everybody's body responds to things differently. So I think that's one of the problems that people have is they try something that works for me. 
So for example, sometimes on Instagram, I'll post my entire workout. A lot of times I'll just post an exercise or two that someone can do. And I call it, you know, adding it to their workout toolbox. You have the tools that you need and you go in and you set up your goal. So you set up your long-term goal or whatever you accomplish according to your body type, what body type you want. And then you take the tools out of that toolbox that you need to build the machine that you want to build, to build your body in the way that you want it. So for me, the tools that I need one day because I have a shoot tomorrow are different than the tools that I would have when I'm have some other goal. For example, I've done in the past, I did some powerlifting contests. I've done a bodybuilding contest. I've kind of dabbled in this and that. The tools are different that I use for each of those uh, kind of events. And so um, it's, it's a variation for each person. So you have to, to me, you find your goal first, and then you kind of backtrack from there with the tools that you need to reach your goal. And everybody's body responds, there are principles, but everybody's body responds a little bit differently. And so you have to find out how your body responds to these tools and use which tools that you need to get Uh to your exercise goal or your fitness goal. So it's different for everybody. So that's how I could have, you know, I could say I lift heavy and do short rest breaks and break my body up like a bodybuilder. And someone else could say, hey, I use only kettlebell and I use a lot of variety. And someone else could say, I only use kettlebells, you know, and I achieve my goals or like Dorian Yates, the bodybuilder back in the day used to just do one set. I do way more than one set. Arnold used to do 20 to 30 sets of one thing. And Dorian Yates used to do one set of everything. And so everyone has their own theory. They have completely different bodies and their body is made up of fast twitch and so twitch fibers. And I won't get too involved, but there's so many different things that make up the human body that everybody responds to it a little bit differently. So you have principles and you have form that you want to keep, but within that framework, the sky's the limit of what you want to do, but you have to figure out what works for you. But I think the bottom line that we could probably all agree on is that if you're not consistent with it and do it on a regular basis, you're not going to be any good at it. You're not going to get any results. And that goes with honestly almost everything in life. We all, you know, in our day and age with Instagram and everything, we all want a shortcut, a way to get there pretty quickly, but you know, there's there's very yeah, few absolutely. things that come. With I never heard about Dorian Yates only doing one one set of everything. Yeah, that was his training philosophy. He would do like a warm up set or two, and then he would do one set. And often it would be a drop set or some type of advanced technique he would use on that one set. But he would, and again, he would do a few warm ups. He wouldn't just jump in with a heavy weight. But he felt that one set was enough to exhaust whatever exercise he was doing. And like I said, Arnold was on the other end of the spectrum. He would do 20 to 30 sets of something, uh, you know, during a workout. He would do 20 mm-hmm. to 30 sets of back exercises. So it, there are different theories, and obviously both of them were at the yeah, top Dorian of their sport, was a monster. You know, when they were. So. <laughs> huge. Yeah, he was. So it's hard to call him right. wrong, and obviously <laughs> right, exactly. nobody can tell Arnold he's wrong. Wow. So. so you mentioned ice cream earlier. This is one of my biggest – pitfalls downfalls i mean it's actually i've I've actually been doing a lot better than i thought i would given the whole quarantine situation you know but what's your diet like been during this quarantine thing it's been um it's been probably a little bit more uh flexible (laughs) than it normally has been as probably everybody has been it's um interesting because 
you know, my eating has changed with the kids too, because you, you know, when you're just on your own or you're married or whatever, you choose what you want in the house and this is what you have and what you don't have in the house, you can't eat, et cetera. When you have kids, you have to have things in the house that the kids will eat. So sometimes that's not the best items for you if you're on a fitness, uh, you know, adventure. Um, so for me, my diet has probably relaxed a little bit. I have kept the same basic outline though, where I usually keep it pretty, um, tight Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, midday, and then Saturday evening to Sunday evening is usually my, if you want to call it a cheat day. I don't go crazy, but that's where I allow myself to be a little bit more flexible. And then during the week, it's kind of uh, business as usual. And again, for me, since I do like to always be prepared, I don't go too far off. So even if I allow myself a few more concessions, um, but also my theory on fitness is, you know, life is not about being miserable. It's about balance. And so for me, one of the reasons that I work so hard is so that I can, you know, eat not terribly, but so that I don't have to restrict myself too much. And so that's, uh, again, part of just kind of the fitness theory of what are your goals and how are you training to achieve those goals? And so food and fitness go hand in hand and you kind of have to have them both on point, but that doesn't mean you have to have, um, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be miserable all the time. Right. Yeah. So that's why I was just kind of curious of what your philosophy was, you know I mean? Because for someone out there who's like, all right, well, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be in the next uh, episode of GQ magazine, but they still want to either lose some weight or maintain what they have, or maybe even they're taking this opportunity to lean up a little bit and start eating some better food. Cause I've actually heard people doing that, which I think is great. I mean, we actually haven't ordered out yeah. once. I mean, I really enjoy cooking and you know, we still, you know, we're still able to get all the all organic food and grass fed meats and stuff like that from some of the resources around here. And so our diet really hasn't changed too, too much. And, you know, a couple things here and there, maybe we're making a little extra desserts sometimes or being a little fancier because we have more time to be able to do it, but it's not, it's not even close to every night, but, um, just seeing what your philosophy was and what you would recommend for somebody listening to this and saying, all right, well, uh, you know, I want to either get myself in better shape. I want to lose weight or I want to maintain what I've had so far, you know, what's, what's it going to take? And so they're, they're here and you say, okay, well, I'm doing 45 minute workouts. I want to be consistent. So I just wanted to hear what your philosophy was with nutrition. Cause same thing with training, right? Everybody's got different philosophies. Everybody's got different things. And I tell my yeah. clients to listen to their bodies, um, whether yeah. it comes to training or nutrition and see what feels right for feels, feels right for you to a certain extent. I mean, if they're craving something and they're like, well, I'm just going to have some ice cream because, you know, I'm listening to my body, but it's like, that's, <laughs> that's not, that's not exactly, uh, yeah. The right thing to do. Yeah. I feel like nutrition is similar to fitness. There's no one size fits all. And that's why you see all these different diet fads that come out and these books that come out. And this person will say, Oh, you know, this is the perfect thing for everybody. And I, shrug my shoulders and shake my head and mm -hmm. say, no, it's not because there is no perfect thing for everybody. Again, what works for my body having trained for 20 years works differently for someone else. And for me, for example, having to kind of get really tight to do a fitness shoot or to do a, whatever it is that I'm doing, doing that over and over has enabled my body to do it better each time. And so it takes me less time to kind of get in 
tip-top shape than it did when I was 10 years ago when I used to have to do it. And so bodies change over time and goals are different. Again, my eating schedule is different than it would be if I had a shoot coming up on Friday. So um, I feel like that there's um, principles, the same as fitness, there are principles that you can put in place, but you also have to kind of fit what works for your body and also what, um, what can work for your goals and to get you to your goals. Generally speaking, I uh, generally recommend a higher protein, lower carb, low fat, low sugar, low to no sugar diet on a regular basis. Again, that doesn't work for everybody. That's not, you know, taking into consideration other health concerns or lifestyles or, you know, work schedules, things like that. Um, but that's my general theory, and that's kind of how I keep it. I, you know, do, you know, higher protein. I do lower carbs. I do a lot of fruits and vegetables. And that's kind of my basic outline of how I eat. But also I feel like one of the reasons I work so hard is so that mm -hmm. I can, you know, have things that I want to have sometimes. Uh, for example, being if I, my reward, I love donuts. So my reward for doing a fitness shoot or anytime I work really hard is I will go and get uh, donuts and I will, I don't encourage this, but I will eat the six box, the box six pack box or the 12 pack um, box. So <laughs> I don't feel like, you know what? I, the 12 pack box, although now my daughter helps me out with it. So it's more about, it's, I'm, I'm usually getting down about nine or 10 and, uh, you know, and she's already snagged the other two. So it used to be the full 12, but she's limited to me a little bit because now she's turned into a donut person as well. So, um, but that was always my reward. And so it's one of those things to me, I like people to think of food as, again, you have tools in your toolbox and how are you using them? So for me, that's a, the donuts are a motivator for me. And I always tell people, you want to take things and use it as opportunity for victory instead of opportunity for defeat. So for example, if you're trying to eat clean and you want a donut and you say, Hey, it's Wednesday. I want a donut, but I'm not supposed to have anything till Saturday. You don't want to have the donut on Wednesday because you'll have it. And then you just feel guilty that you had a donut that you weren't supposed to have. So you feel even worse mm -hmm. than you did. The donut is not even sweet anymore. However, if you, it's an opportunity for failure, but if you say, okay, I can have the donut. I just have to wait till Saturday to have the donut. You can build up your strength, build up your discipline. And then by the time Saturday comes around, you either may not want the donut in case that's the win, in which case it's a win, or you eat the donut and you get to enjoy the donut because you earned the donut by waiting till Saturday. So you've built up self-discipline and you've also got to eat the donut. It's a win-win. So to me, things are an opportunity for failure or they're an opportunity to um, grow. And so food is a lot like that. But again, these are just different tools that you'll have in your nutrition toolbox and you take out whichever tools you need yeah. to get the job done to reach the goal like that. that you want to reach. So That's a great point. Fitness. All right. Um, where can everybody find out a little bit more about you? Where can they buy the Nephilim virus if they wanted to look up that book? Um, where can people find out what you're doing right now and what you're going to be doing? Um, people can, the best way to reach me is to just go to my website. It's John T .com, So it's J O H N the letter T and then my last name, P R A T H E R.com. That's where you can buy the book. You can also buy it at Amazon and, and at Barnes and Noble and uh, Walmart, I think. But um, th the best way is you can get it on my website, but you can also kind of find out 
a little about my writing there or keep up with kind of what I'm doing on there. Uh, also, Instagram is a good way to learn about my fitness stuff. I talk about the book a little on there, but a lot of my fitness stuff, my workouts, my workout theories, a little bit about eating, those type of things I do on Instagram. And my handle is at uh, John T. Prather, mm -hmm. so the same thing, J-O-H-N-T-P-R-A-T-H-E-R. And you can uh, connect with me on there. Um, so either one of those ways are, are a great way to reach me. And I love, you know, questions and I love to help people out. So anyone is welcome. Awesome. To reach yeah. Out I'm going to put all those in the show notes too. For, so for anybody listening, just check out the show notes and you can find the Instagram account and then uh, I'll link up the website as well. All right. Well, John, as with every episode, we end with 10 questions. So before you hop off of here, you ready to, uh, to, uh, get to answering, <laughs> All right, so these, these questions were inspired by Let's James Lupton and Bernard Prevost. And the first one is, who is your hero? Uh, my hero is my dad. He's passed away now, but he's the person that got me into fitness, and he's the person that uh, was kind of a North Star for our family. So for um, nice. my biggest what excites you? growing up was my dad. <laughs> Uh, donuts. <laughs> I, 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 I have a hard time explaining how much I get excited about uh, an original glazed donut, uh, but also my family. Although my wife, if she listens, is going to be very upset that I've had that order. So let me see my family first okay. and then donuts. Second. What turns you off? <laughs> I do not like bullies. I don't like people who take advantage of people's insecurities or that treat people who that are lesser than them. I don't care what you've done with your life or what you haven't done with your life or what you've accomplished. You know, we're all on the same plane. We are all souls valued by God. So I don't like nice. people who treat people less. What than is that, your favorite sound? Of any kind. My favorite sound is my daughter's voice. <laughs> she has the sweetest nice. voice. And what is I, your you know, least favorite it, sound? It, it makes my day. Oh, man. I'm probably going to say my son's <laughs> cry. So I don't want to say his voice. I love his voice. But he has the, the most uh, obnoxious cry ever. So if he gets older and listens to this, I apologize. <laughs> I thought maybe you were going to say the, the, the sound of the, the last bite of the donut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> the box closing and it's empty. It's being thrown what is your trash. favorite quote That's or be saying? A close second. My favorite quote is um, the heights of great men reached and kept were not obtained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions wow. slept, toiled. That's up great. In the Who night. said that? Okay. That's uh, Henry. Uh, That's pretty long. Fellow. <laughs> yeah, it's part of a poem um, called The Ladder of St. Augustine. And that's one of the, there are a couple of really like good it. kind of lines in there. And that's my In a couple words, portion. what should a dad be? He should be an encourager. And, and a in a couple of words, what should a dad a not be? A discourager. He should not be afraid to say I love you and not be afraid to say I'm proud if of you. If you could try any other profession, what would it be? 
I would love to be, I love to fly. I would love to be a pilot. My dad was a pilot. I don't know that I could do it for a living, but I love to fly. Nice. I think that would be a, and a finally, fun. I love to be in the What air. would you like to be remembered for? I would like to be remembered as someone who is genuine, someone who was exactly what they said they were, whose you know, word was good as gold, who could be depended on. And that goes especially, you know, for his family. I love it. Just everyone in general. That's awesome. John, anything you want to add before we hop off? No, I I think we've about covered everything. And I really, really appreciate it. Had a great time talking to you. And I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm honored to have you on the show. uh, And I loved everything you said. I got something from it, just like I do with every episode. And um, I, I, I had a great time. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much. As warrior dads, we got to tackle a lot of things, but tackling low testosterone levels should definitely not be one of them. Uh, We need to keep our testosterone at peak levels, and that is absolutely crucial for all of us. So I'm sure you know all the horrible things associated with low T levels. If you don't, it's definitely not pretty. Uh, It's Google search away. But unfortunately, testosterone levels in men have been consistently decreasing over the last two decades. And it's actually one of the biggest conversations I have to have when working with men, which is why I decided to create the Warrior Dads Testosterone Booster Guide and Checklist. It's a free download. And all you have to do is go to checklist.warriordads.com. Just download it, start, start implementing it, and start to feel the difference. So again, go to checklist.warriordads.com and get your free copy now. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, please subscribe, leave comments, and share it with someone you think would benefit from listening as well. Thanks again and keep on being a warrior dad.